feel like it's the um anarchist takeover of what's left we've like kicked out the marxists for the week Welcome to What's Left, the weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barco with co-host, uh, right to teacher Jessica, and as anyone can see, uh, we're missing Andy and Kenny. Uh, they will be hopefully back with us next week. At this time, this is the first for us. Uh, it's just Jessica and myself. <laughs> so we'll be doing the episode together, and I'm looking forward to that. We are online at what-s-left.webno.com. You can find that link to our blog in the episode notes. You can also find our personal social media handle as at Don Eduardo Abarca and at ZDKE. Those are two Instagram uh, social media handles and Jessica's uh, Twitter handle at jhomie89. Please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. And before we get started, I just wanted to wish Brandy, from both of us, a very happy birthday. Her birthday was a 3rd of October. And if anyone knows us, here, Andy's partner, Brandy, who he talks about in the episodes frequently. Uh, her name is Brandy, and we wish her a very happy birthday. Feliz cumpleaños, Brandy. Yeah, happy birthday. Very well. Here we go. So, as I mentioned earlier, so it's just Jessica and myself. I'll be taking a lot of Ricola during this time. Uh, and uh, Jessica, you had something in mind you shared with us since we were planning for this episode. Maybe you can start off and share with us what you had in mind. Yeah, well, we were talking about what to do um, for this. And I, I think it was a couple weeks ago. I had kind of an interesting experience um, at a local event where I live um, that just kind of stirred up some feelings and thoughts around just issues of immigration and nationalism and identity. And these are all like subjects we've talked about before, but I know um, obviously Eduardo has been doing a ton of on the ground work recently. And so I thought it'd be a good opportunity to maybe just revisit some of our thoughts on those topics. Um, and then you can kind of update us about, you know, insofar as you want to and can um, about some of the work you've been doing. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's been a lot of conversations too, and you know the national discourse around migration and immigration. Um, you know, and a lot of it's very performative, and of course, very exploitative of the people actually affected. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the general topic that we were thinking about. So yeah, I don't know. Do you want do you want me to just start and talk about what what's on my mind, and then and pivot as Thumbs up. Oh my God. You're going to die on screen. I'm going to be here on Zoom watching. I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out if it's because I'm watching myself that, that kind of feeds back into this, this loop of me coughing. <clears throat> so I'm trying to look at you only. So yes, I, I think that maybe it would be best if you shared from your experience first, <clears throat> and then I would see how it's connected to what I can share. Okay. Of course, right yeah. after I bring my tisane full of herbs that might help me hold up. Yeah, so you were saying you had an experience at, uh, in where you're where you, uh, over a weekend, I, I, I think you said. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I feel like a lot of this stuff has come up 
more for me since moving to like a more Republican area. I mean, we have like super strong National Guard presence on campus, um, which I mean, that's the case in a lot of institutions of higher education, but um, it's- Remind folks where you live. Uh, in Eastern Oregon. Um, so it's like very far. I mean, obviously very um, blue state, but where I live, it's aside from the academic community, um, it's quite conservative. We're very, like, very close to Idaho. People like the joke here is kind of like my town, like kind of wishes it was part of Idaho. Um, but, you know, I mean, especially in light of the past couple of years, like I've kind of my opinion on right versus left and, you know, having more, I guess, just more relationships with and more encounters with people who are on the quote unquote right has softened me a little bit um, to some of those perspectives. Um, although, you know, as we always talk about, like still, <laughs> still for open borders. Um, and sometimes that's a, that's a rough conversation. But so recently I went to the Pendleton Roundup, um, which maybe some people have heard of, um, but it's, it's a, it's a rodeo basically. Um, it's not in my town. It's in like the next town over Pendleton, Oregon. Um, and it's a really like, locally it is sort of the event of the year like all the businesses like close down and like everything like people come from miles and miles away um for this roundup it's been going on for like i don't know how long a long time um and it's just so we we went to check it out just because um you know it was the first first time we were here um cuz we've been here a little a little under a year so it was our first like first roundup um and it was just such a weird experience. I mean, I, I had a good time. It was, it was an enjoyable experience. Um, but it was just this really bizarre mix of white, like American cowboy culture, which a lot of that is really bound up in like, you know, nationalism and Republicanism. Um, and then tribal culture because a huge part of it um what like we went to the like the tribal dancing um and there was um like a whole teepee village um and like indigenous people come from like all surrounding areas it's a huge huge deal um we watched like the kids dancing competition where like all of these young um boys and girls like in their full um you know regalia uh are are like competing and performing and it was so cool like so beautiful um there's this huge like mostly indigenous like marketplace um where you had just like bead um you know bead workers and baskets and just like all of these beautiful um handcrafted like tribal um artisan crafts so just I don't know. And we like, we went for the tribal dancing, which was in the morning. I mean, the events like a week long, but we went to like the, the last day of it, which was on a weekend. Um, we didn't go to the rodeo. Um, I can, I can handle the cowboy culture, but I, I can't handle like the animal <laughs> abuse with that. Um, so we, yeah, we literally went like just for the tribal aspects of it. Um, but you know, it's all, it's all sort of intermeshed and it was just, I don't know. It just brought a lot up for me that I kind of wasn't expecting. Like I went into it feeling like, you know, like I want to go to this part of it and like reject that part of it. Right. Um, but of course it's not really like how it works. I mean, it is, it is partially 
Um, and you know, like uh, even just the, like the order of events and the attendance, like the tribal events are very much like secondary to like the main event, which is the rodeo, which takes place like later in the day. Um, but you know, even just at like the tribal dancing event, um, like what I witnessed was like a lot of, a lot more like intermeshing and kind of, I guess, coexistence than I think your average like liberal outsider would expect. Um, I mean, culturally, also biologically, right? Like there's been like a lot of crossover um, between, you know, local populations. Um, so there's tons of people here who like have mixed indigenous and white blood or from wherever, right? And sometimes you don't like, you wouldn't even know from looking at them that they're this or that or whatever. Um, but I don't know, I kind of left feeling like, I don't know, like a lot of this division, I, don't know, I was just asking myself, like, is a lot of this division, like in my head, am I just like projecting that and putting that on because of the assumptions that I bring to it, when in reality, everybody was fine, like, not that there aren't, like, I'm sure problems and power hierarchies, you know, I don't see like the behind the scenes of the event or whatever. Um, but on a sort of practical, at least on a surface level, um, everybody was having a great time. Like there were white cowboys cheering on the tribal dance. There were young, like native boys who were watching the rodeo. Like it was all good. I mean, literally it's like cowboys and Indians, right? And everyone's just people. Um, on the other hand, I don't know. Like I also feel like I can't shake well, first of all, I can't shake the animal treatment. That's just like two completely different paradigms, it seems to me. Um, like in the rodeo, right, animals are used for entertainment and um, some of it, like I definitely would consider abuse um, or at least like a show of dominance. Like that's part of the appeal. Um, and then in the indigenous ways, right, like there's utter reverence for the animal kingdom of which we're part, right? Um, and like, I, I was speaking with one um, native woman at the marketplace who she made jewelry. Um, actually, I bought this, this ring from her, this little wolf ring. Um, she had like a lot of animal stuff. Um, and she, like, I was talking to her about like, you know, tell me about the significance of like this animal and, you know, your um, upbringing. Um, so she was kind of talking about like all the different sort of associations, like spiritually with the, the different animals. Um, and I was like, yeah, so what do you, what do you think of the rodeo? And she's like, oh, like, I, I don't like it. Like, I don't like how I treat the animals and like, yeah, me either. Um, so, I mean, just one, one anecdote. Right. But anyway, like back to the, the nationalism stuff, just for example, they, they did like a veteran recognition sort of moment in the, in the tribal dance event. Um, and you had, you know, you had like white veterans, but then also quite a few like older native army, like U.S. Army veterans. Um, and it just like there's just so much, so many levels of like exploitation that I just can't shake from the way that I view that. And yet there's also like this, I mean, you can just see it in how they hold themselves. Like there's this wartime pride, which remains. I just left kind of feeling like confused about how, how I feel and like how, um, just, I don't want to simplify 
and just sort of cast off the entire history of this country, right? Um, and then looking at the way, like, just to connect it to, like, my everyday experience, because I'm not, I mean, obviously, I'm, like, not going to, you know, Indigenous dances every day. Um, but just knowing, like, my students and a lot of them have grown up in like very much like white um, Republican communities, which a lot of the, those are really land-based. Um, and so I'm learning a lot from them. Um, and I don't like to be as judgmental as I, as I would have been, you know, like four or five years ago. And I was still pretty much stuck in like just mainstream progressive mindset. Um, but then it's like you, like we walked past a stand like by the rodeo section of it, you know, and there was like a t-shirt. I mean, this is like an extreme example. Most people are super friendly and, and great, but like there's, there was a stand like sharing, um, selling t-shirts that said like, um, Islamic terrorists are like salmon. Um, life is good until the seals arrive. Like, or something like that, you know, it's just like these, like, just blatantly racist, like, I don't know, like, what do you, what do you do with it? So that's my little, yeah, that's like my little, um, framing, I guess, of like, what's kind of been on my mind. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts and then we can shift a little bit to some of the work you've yeah. been doing. I was just going to ask you that just what exactly do you think that was what behavior or comportment was that nationalistic like and you just mentioned a few things that, I mean that specifically about shirts like that I mean that's like an outlier it's not like everybody there was like right that way but it's a it's a lot of like American flags and like patriotism um like that's a lot of the sort of rah-rah rodeo culture I well, I've, I've sort of experienced something like that when I went to, because I, I stayed with a friend, my friend Jake in Idaho, in a small town called Emmett, Idaho. And that was my first experience ever in somewhere that would be considered, I guess, middle America or something that is close to that small town feel of one high school in one town and one middle school and one element, you know, and then you have the people who know each other and everyone thought I was Native American. That's, they didn't think I was Mexican. And when I would tell them I'm Mexican, they had certain feelings or stereotypes that would come up for them that didn't fit. I didn't fit those stereotypes. And then they thought, how, how is it like possible? And then they would sort of, rationale or something to try to work their way around it because I'm going to get to the part about what immigration means for people or what nationalism means for people but what they would do is they would say, oh you're not like that other kind of Mexicans right they, they would exclude me from my own because they would feel as if okay that's how we justify he is okay with us because he's not like what we think Mexicans should act or be like right uh, so I think what I, that that experience has given me a feel for what it's like in other areas of the USA that are not like SF, that are not like New York, that are not like Miami, that are not like, you know, big cities. Uh, so I'm just trying to picture myself and where you were and I'm not, I, obviously I wasn't there, but I just have a feel for it from my own experience. 
And uh, guess what comes up for me is I I don't like rodeos. I don't like, I'm not a very cowboy person. I don't, and I'm not a very big fan of country music. But after some time, I, I did start to like that small town feel or that kind of way of, it's, it's weird. Like I did like, even though I was the only Mexican in my neighborhood, when the, in the neighborhood, it wasn't mine. I, I went over to stay for a summer and then I went back and I stayed again for long periods of time, for months with my friend. It, it felt close, tight-knit. You'd have these small diners and the restaurants and people know each other. And then they kind of gossip in their own way like this. And then I, I'm just observant of people's connections and relationships. There weren't any black people there either. And their conversations around food, school, community. There was another event, like something strawberry or some spring event, I forget, like, or cherry blossom. And it was just everyone coming with their booths and selling their own goods, pies, all the American stuff that they would sell and jams and stuff from, you know, and, and, and then there was the cowboy aspect and people's hunting gear and people's love for trucks. And I just, there was some, yeah, I don't know why this whole love for trucks <laughs> and proudness. And this is Idaho, right? Like being proud to have this rifle and even the idea of like, these uh what do you call AK 37 or what do you call AK 47 those guns they would see that's that's for they would say we're I, you know they would say pussy or something I don't I'm not saying that that's correct but I'm just saying that they wouldn't approve of that way of that gun in shooting or being out hunting because they would say that's not how you hunt and so their ethics around hunting and even fishing and these things that I would be like well there's no ethics in hunting at all right but they would have some of these ethics rodeo is another thing that's more sports oh of course hunting's a sport too but they would still use i think the difference is that rodeos don't have any entertainment but hunting is also can be used for food like they would eat deer and they would eat buffalo and they would eat bear and i remember thinking what you have bear like they had a separate from the family i stayed with had a separate uh uh freezer like in their in their in their downstairs area big and then they opened it up and they had bear and they had deer and they and I thought that was cool so I guess I'm just trying to say like I eventually got to love that culture there's something nostalgic every time I pass by a state that's like close to Idaho because I'm thinking I remember how it was or even here in California when I go up other areas and there's more rural areas. It reminds me of that small town feel and the forest to Idaho and, and just the mountains and people knowing each other from a long time. So I think when one, from the Mexican perspective, from someone who has been in other countries who've lived in Mexico, I, I think I had an idea that everyone was a racist, everyone was, nationalistic everyone it, what, what I mean from nationalistic isn't what they probably mean by nationalistic what I'm what I think they that means is they completely hate us right there's this hate that we have for each other that's forever right so I guess what I'm going where I'm going with this is 
that I I came to realize that there is there are these higher like what would you call it just they're not called concepts or what would what we these 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 ideas of what an immigrant is or this idea of what a U.S. American is this nationalistic person right like these things are things that we have been instructed to or been conditioned to think that these are our enemies like there's this foreign it's over there those people right like I felt that was what I thought about cowboys and yeah U.S. Americans over there they're the ones who if I go to Idaho I could get shot or something and I never got shot nothing happened to me right like I don't want to go to Idaho but I have to go see my friend Jake and they're gonna they're gonna lynch me or you know yeah so and then they think their their concepts of Mexicans or immigrants or other people or and I realized then that it was we were more we were, we saw each other so I guess I'm just trying to go with your experience that I I think anyone would feel proud where they are from like I think pride is something that we can all have right like I'm proud to be Mexican but I don't want to be exclusive to people I don't want your experience like you are your family's from Britain right yeah I mean what's funny right is that like you were born in San Francisco yeah yeah so you you know just on paper are not an immigrant and I am right and I'm guessing that we have not been treated as such. Right, 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 right. right. That's funny. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I so, have to remind people, like, I'm an immigrant, technically. Like, Right. And and then I I was, so my family's here, and then all of a sudden we went back, and I came back for school, and then when I was an adolescent. And so what I, we went to Europe, and then came back here, because the summers, that's how we would do it, we'd just leave. But what I what I appreciate, I guess, is just people's love for their culture, for the things that they're used to. Even when I go to Britain, like they'll say things, my friends, maybe I'll send this to one of them, Jamana, I'm thinking of my friend Jamana, whose entire conversation about the Celtics and the people in from her, like the against the French in the North, what is it, the Normans? against yeah. the Norman, right? Yeah. They're always talking about this and it's the Normans that came over and and it's just the people who, I have pictures I can share and they give me a chain link thing, like a, I don't know what it's like you call it and I have pictures of it and I'm like, okay. And, and they, they dress me up in this and they're proud in this, in their culture. I think anyone has a right to be proud of these things that they grew up with, traditions and things that you're used to. And then I go to, I have my friend from Venezuela and we're constantly bickering about which country has the best food or how, like we're just proud people. So I imagine that people want a sense of belonging and a sense of pridefulness. Like they want that. And that is what I think this stems from, this nationalism stems from. And then you have politicians coming forward. I don't know, this is the way I think of it, just you might see it differently. But I think that when politicians come forward and they present their candidacy, they harp on that, right? Like they, that's what exactly what they use to be able to tag and say, I'm this person and everything else is a threat to us, right? And I'm going to save you from that. And that's what I think this does. People, people are then put against each other. I mean, I see it constantly 
when I when I'm in um, certain circles, like in Mexico, where we are told by the by well community folks that are leaders and people in the media who say that immigrants are taking over our you know country, and this is in Mexico, and I'm thinking oh. That's what people are st starting to say that Haitians and Hondurans and and now Venezuelans are coming over and they're the ones who are bringing delinquency. Is it the word delinquency? Delinquencia? Delinquency? Yeah, you got it. And so sometimes I just do that, Jess. I don't even know if it exists in English, but and then everyone thinks I'm using high vocabulary, but I'm like, it's not <laughs> high at all. It's very common. Like one time I said, I'm sorry, I'm, I deviate. I said, oh, we need to go get some alimentation. And someone said, what the? crap is that <laughs> or even now is thinking comportment what was their comportment i'm thinking what was their behavior it's so common to yeah. say behavior but in spanish comportamiento, second, second comportamiento. language learners have a better grasp of the language and vocabulary a lot of the time and and then you have english like you say like alimentation alimentación is such a common word you know so anyhow back to this so delinquencia is so common to say so, so delinquency is what Venezuelans are bringing to Mexico, but that's not true. That's not all Venezuelans. That's what exactly what we're told to find a cause or reason. This is to find some scapegoat, right? And that's what I think has happened in the USA. I think we could coexist, Jess. I really do think your experience of those Native Americans or Native tribes in their circles and their time with other cowboys and and I think there are always going to be differences about what we think is the right, like entertainment wise, you describe Rodales. But if people really get to know each other, that's what, if they get to know each other's stories, like people, when I say I brought my Venezuelan friends, some people have written to me, it's like, you know, be careful of some Venezuelans, especially where they come from, la la la. And I'm like, can you get to know them first? And now that people have gotten to know my friends, Alex and Brené, everyone is saying, he is so nice and he cooks so well and he's so this and so that, you know, and it just, it's so when you, when we talk about immigrants or when we talk about other cultures, it's so foreign to us. It's them that over there, but it's not, it's not like when it's in the face, in the presence of something, I feel things change and shift. Like when I went to Idaho, people's concepts of Mexicans changed for them. Those are my thoughts as I'm thinking out loud with you. I don't know what you think. That's what I think that that's what happens. I think that's how people are turned against each other. It's because people are use that against each other, right? Like they use us. It's like this whole thing about, the, you know, when they were white, you know about that, Jess, um, the white, uh, the white uh, uh, workers and the black workers together. And then in order for racism to develop, for these workers not to unify each other, racism was used to be able to turn on each other, right? Oh, I yeah. think you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, especially like, you know, like in the Caribbean with like the female, uh, like black female slaves and then like really, really poor white, um, like basically indentured servants, right? And like they had, like, they were very successful when they would actually band together and like kind of prop up each other, you know, whether it was business-wise or um politically but then yeah exactly what you said right the the race issue had to be sort of driven um in order to fracture communities um and relationships and then uh you know political elites get what they want yeah i mean and i don't know 
I don't even want to play this because it's just, but I think like what you're saying about, yeah, the Idaho, like most people in Idaho, I don't, they're not racist. Most people in my town are not racist. Yeah. There's probably a few. Um, some people hadn't had an opportunity to travel and meet people who look differently than them or speak differently. Um, so they might be kind of limited in their scope. I mean, we all are to some degree. I certainly am, but they're good intention people. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was very humbling and kind of like stripped me of a lot of, um, I don't know, whatever, like attitude I kind of had, like in my head, like just seeing like cowboys and, you know, um, like, especially like just the, the aesthetics of it. We're just, I'll, I'll try to, um, I'll send Andy some photos maybe of like the dancing, just so you guys can see the, um, just the beautiful, like just the full dancing regalia, um, you know, and then there's like dudes in like, you know, the military caps with their cowboy boots and everything. Um, it was cool. Like I had a lot of fun, but I think, I mean, a lot of the crappy racist narratives come from politicians and, you know, they come from the upper echelons. And I was just, did you see this Nancy Pelosi clip the other day? I mean, this like, just in case anybody, like, I'm sure none of our listeners do, but like, just in case anybody has like any semblance of like crumb of a, you know, thought that we have like a pro-immigrant party in this country, like these are the progressives, right? Um, Let me share my screen. So this, I mean, this is, this is democratic ringleader. The best thing that we can do for our economy is to have comprehensive immigration reform. We have a shortage of workers in our country. And you see even in Florida, some of the farmers and the growers saying, why are you shipping these uh, immigrants uh, up north? We need them to pick the crops down here. Like, I know she drinks like margaritas for breakfast or whatnot, and is probably like on multiple yeah, drugs, but I, I didn't know about the margaritas for breakfast <laughs> or martinis, probably. Probably not margaritas. <laughs> but it's like, I mean, this is what this is what we have to hear at the, you know, from the most powerful people in the entire nation. We just need them for crops. Yeah, we need. They need to pick our crops. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's and the same like, in Spain. The other thing, thinking about um just with the recent um hurricane right like i think it was like maybe 50 or 60 million that was pledged um like by the the biden administration to puerto rico for like storm recovery and it's just like i mean how many billion are we up to now in weapons for ukraine and puerto rico is part of the united states i mean I might be pro-independence, right? But like the reality is that they are technically, you know, Americans. Like that's a fact. And there's just no, like when it comes to actual, you know, um, like power and money at the highest levels, like where's the nationalism for them, right? Like that to me is like the real racism. That's exactly what we I mean, we've said it before, but that's exactly what I want us to communicate. It's, it's neither Republicans or Democrats that are going to save or going to be pro or anti. They, they, it's both to what's convenient for them, right? That is what I want 
at least in this episode, we've said in other episodes before, that's exactly what's going to be do, done to be used for especially the elections, right? That is similar to what women's right to choose and abortion is going to be used exactly for that the elections of November as well. And there I can see it already with just the emails, the stuff that I'm getting in the mail, the, the urgency of making sure we vote and making sure that we elect Democrats. That's what I see is happening right now. And everything's being used to prop up candidates. They're pro this, they're pro that, this, they're for immigration. But we're really not. And we're really not. I, I, they're really not. And so it to me, it's about letting go of that and seeing how we don't need it to be legislated. We don't need it to be in legislation, as you had mentioned with abortion, with immigration, with the lives that we lead. Like, I think those things could be the way that many immigrants do it, right? That have always done it. They come across illegally and that should be a fundamental right for anyone, the freedom of movement. Fundamental, just basic law. The freedom to choose where I want to live, the freedom to choose where I want to be, the freedom to choose, like, if I want to move here or there, right? That's what I think that we should be for. I've said this before in another episode. I don't know if you've heard that, Jessica, but it's just like the freedom movement talks about freedom of autonomy, like our body, our autonomy, our right to 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 have a, um, you know, just the, 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 the limited government on how much they control us that should be anywhere in every single part, whether it's in women's in women's decisions and whether it's in our what we put in our bodies and whether we want to live in this zone or that zone, you know? And that's basic. I don't know how else that's just as basic as food is a right and education and 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 uh seguro Medicare. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, a lot of people... Healthcare, I meant to say, healthcare. Yeah, healthcare. I mean, and a lot of people on the right, right, like, were furious that their freedom of movement was restricted during the lockdowns, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I, I always think of Allison, the way she describes, like, your, you know, your own home, like, becoming a border. Um, and it's it's the exact same concept, right? Just just as it applies to like nation states, um, yeah. Beyond beyond frustrating, and it I, I agree. It's it's just a basic right. I mean, like, why was I allowed to come to America as a kid? Because my dad is a citizen, right, and was born here, and because I was coming from a white Western nation where I would be pretty much welcomed in um, without like any real difficulty or questioning. Um, like why <laughs> it just doesn't, it is, it's just such a double standard. Yeah. And we see that happening as well. I've said this in another episode, but this applies in this episode that restrictions and lockdowns were never about COVID. They were about restricting people's access movements to places. And we saw that happen when Title 42, which was one of the uh, rules in order for immigrants to for the to stop immigrants from coming to this country, we saw that immediately be like, oh wait, 
uh, Ukrainians are coming here, so we're just gonna forget about that rule because COVID doesn't matter because we're still, so we were still in the, at that time, technically in, in a pandemia, right? But then suddenly Ukrainians came because the USA decided to go over there and begin another proxy war with someone like, oh, but suddenly it doesn't matter. Like we're going to have uh, unlimited access for Ukrainians, right? That's fine, and I and I and I I fully support anyone's freedom of movement. But the rule changed as soon as Ukrainians were involved, and we had a bunch of tents and camps waiting at the border for months, and some people for years waiting to come in. But because of Title Forty Two, because of COVID, right? Because it's scary to have COVID, so we can't allow immigrants who are going to bring us COVID but it wasn't an issue after the Ukrainians came. So I'm for anyone's movement, but just that, that's, that's what I don't understand. And I want anyone to see that as like, this is exactly what those restrictions were for. Legislation was passed, rules were set up. Everything was just in order to restrict movement. And we can clearly see the hypocrisy right there. Um, yeah, and I was thinking too about like the stupid bus stunt, you know, with um, Republican, uh, governors, right? Um, Abbott and DeSantis, oh, right? Like sending the yes, the buses of um. Sorry, I'm like keeping attacked by this fly. <laughs> so I keep waving my arms around. Um, but w- one thing that I noticed and just was kind of attentive to it because of the work that you've been doing is I I read that a lot of the people on those buses, right? Which were ch- I mean, it's just disgusting the the way that they sort of just it's just a stunt it's just like a media stunt right but with people um but a lot of them apparently were venezuelans right um which is is interesting right um and i think yeah i mean maybe that could segue into some of the work you've been doing and and also just you know these larger like geopolitical questions of like well why why has the venezuelan economy collapsed right like could it have anything to do with the insane sanctions and like complete lack of diplomacy between the united states <laughs> and their government um so yeah i don't know if you have thoughts on the vineyard i do i'm so glad you brought that up so there are why are republican governors doing this why are they relocating migrants across the usa and it's another you're right because of the November election. There's all of these things about ahead of terms to the midterm elections that are coming up that are so urgent and important because as every election time, and I have said, I'm guilty of saying it in the past as well, it's like so crucial. This is the moment, right? Well, they've used migrants to to sort of prop up their, look, I, the Florid, Floridian, is, is it Floridian? Florida's yeah. governor, okay, Floridian governor, he did it exactly, and he said it because they're not going to be here. They're not going to allow it, and we're doing it just to show that we are the right kind of candidates that are going to do something about it. And they're relocating it. And Venezuelans, the Venezuelans are the ones who were the I think at Martha Martha Stewart's vineyard or something like that. Yeah. And you've already mentioned it. The sanctions that have been imposed have not affected the government and its officials and the people who are governing the country, they have affected el pueblo, the people. Some of the, some of the, like the, the, the situation is terrible for the people who are regular, common, working class folks in Venezuela. It's so bad that even some of the uh, people who have worked 
in positions of power, like taking care of the president, get paid as much as $85 a month. 85. We're talking about someone who is very close to the president. And if that's someone who's close to the president, like a bodyguard, what are the rest of the people getting paid? The economy is terrible. And they have, they're rich in resources, like petroleum. And that is, or oil, I should say oil, right, Jess? It's oil, like oil. So if you just see the reasons for their needs, the desire to be able, to, for political reasons, if they're, you know, talking against the government or for environmental reasons, uh, which not, I don't really think of it as climate change, but like, just like the toxics that we're releasing into our rivers, you know, to make farming difficult and water being now uh, contaminated and from environmental, political, and even to economic pressures, these things are going to make people go anywhere to leave. And they love their country. And right now it is one of the largest leading people, more Venezuelans, have left their country in recent times that they're now, I last read a figure and I'll look it up, they're at the same rate of Ukrainians having left war. The same. So there is there are the Venezuelans that have left Venezuela are at the same, uh, um, the, the statistic is at the same level that Ukrainians have left their country and Venezuela is not in a war. Well, they're in an economic war. Yeah, but, I was going to say, like, it is war. It's just economic warfare, hybrid warfare, right? Right. And and so people have chosen to leave. And, and as you mentioned, and we're segueing into this, into my experience right here, I have been in contact. I was in Colombia. People can look at the episodes. I was in Colombia for three months. And during those three months, it's funny, I was in Colombia, but I met more Venezuelans and I was connected to more Venezuelan friends than Colombians. And I've gotten to love and cherish and built beautiful ties with my friends that many of them, and I was living in a house where it's like a transition home where people were leaving and they, they decided that they would leave to the USA. And I didn't want to stand by and do nothing about it. I just, I was like, all right, good, good luck. I can just go back to my comfort in San Francisco or to Mexico to go live with my grandmother's five-story house and just be happy there and eat enchiladas and, you know, and just be happy with the food that I was being given and go to, La Colonia Roma, which is a very ritzy neighborhood in Mexico, which is where artists are. It's like hippie place and and eat vegan tacos from Mexicans who can afford it, who pretend to be poor, but they're really rich from rich families. No, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to say, when you get to Mexico, I will be there with you. I will be there and I will, I will, I will wait for you. And if you need whatever support, but I'll be there if you need some sort. I wouldn't, I didn't know anything, Jess. I didn't know anything about roots or how dangerous it is or what's going to happen. But I will say in my observations there with them, there was a lot of, so, is it, I'm translating again, the word is sovereignation. Sovereignation, when you give people the money, that officials money for like a more, for a, what's sovereignation, right? Jess, is it sovereignation, the word? If it is, I don't know it. <laughs> Word like a bribe or yes, that bribe. Oh, right. But it the, you see what? But what is it called? Sovereignation is the word. I'm tell me, I'm not crazy. Ref word ref. Sovereignation. Yes, it is sovereignation. 
Well, you've taught me a new word. <laughs> Soborno. It's so common in Spanish. Soborno. It's it's that bribing. Okay. Soborno. But you see, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's like, no, everyone thinks, why wow, you have such high vocabulary. I don't have high <laughs> vocabulary. It's just translating from. <laughs> just let so- them think that. Just let them think you have. Amazing. <laughs> okay. Soborno. Well, that's what it is. Soborno is sovereignation in English. Sovereignation, which is bribing. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's go back to this. So I saw sovereignation, bribing happening. And you've got people who've been in debt just trying to um, uh, accum- accumulate their their resource, their money that they need to travel from, from Venezuela to, to the USA, which they have to cross multiple borders. And that's debt. <laughs> people, people selling animals, people selling their motorcycles, people selling their belongings, and then asking other people for favors, being in debt with them, and still having to pay for certain... Uh, not just their food and housing, but also having to pay for uh, officials, corrupt officials were asking that, as I said, sovereignty. the long journey has been so long. And I don't know, this is the only episode where I have talked about this. So I'm glad I'm taking this time, if that's okay, Jess. Going through the jungle and seeing the things that they Entre las linternas. Cuéntense. Uno, dos, tres. Uno. Dos, tres, cuatro, cuatro, cinco, siete, ocho, nueve, diez, falta, falta gente, son doce, ¿no? Falta uno, la china, la china, la se vino con nosotros. No, no, no. 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 No, no, but the other groups that they saw, kids with mothers, and sometimes just, I don't know if I said this to you, but did I tell you and Andy this? But one of them in- encountered like a tent and a dead mother with two babies. Like they didn't have anyone nearby. They were probably left there. And then this mother tried to take care of herself and her children in the way that she could, and they were and they were dead. Stuff like that. And of course, women traveling, having the threat of their bodies being used against their will. And that is also tough. And the group that I, I, I was connected to, they, they, took care, they took care of themselves. All of them took care of themselves. And 
that the more the stronger the group, the better, because then you don't have, you can fight off anybody that might come and threaten you, right? And then having to cross over from that, the jungle to Nicaragua, and then over to Central America to, to Honduras, and then to Guatemala, and then over to Mexico. I wanted them to find some relief in my country. I didn't want them to have to go through any more of things. So I just had them stay with me. And I appreciate anybody who's donated. Jess, thank you very much. Andy, thank you very much. Kenny, thank you very much. And that, I just used it for resource for, for them. I just used it for them, for food and housing. And it was such a beautiful time and I'll put some pictures up, but it was, it was tough. It was tough seeing how even in my country up in, nor in the North, you know, officials know when you speak a different accent and they know that you're not from there. They'll ask something in return. Not as bad as it was in Guatemala because there they ask for a lot of things, not belongings even, some of the, even the bit that you have. And I don't know if I shared with you, Jess, did I tell you that in Guatemala, I, with my mother, something happened? Did I ever share that with you, Jess? I don't think so. When I was 15, we went to Antigua, Guatemala, and it was a very traumatic experience for me because I, on the bus on our way back, so we went to Antigua, Guatemala, we went to Tikal, Antigua, and on our way back to Mexico to cross the border, they had taken us off the bus, some Guatemalan officials, and they knew immediately that we were not Guatemalan. And so they took us off and they saw my mother who, I mean, they just saw her as a woman vulnerable in her state. And I don't know what she was doing with her golden uh, marriage ring. They took her down and they put everyone against the bus. And they said, we have to have inspection. We have to inspect people's things. And the Guatemalans were so confused. Like, how is this an inspection? No, this is not common. But I suspect, of course, I was only 15. They were doing that inspection to normalize that they were going to inspect us and they were going to inspect my mother. They took my mom back to where the office is and they said they were going to do a complete check where she had to strip down. And so I started crying. My uncle started speaking because it was the four of us, my brother, myself, my uncle who lives in Mexico and my mother. And my mom started crying and she was resisting and it was two men who were going to do that. And the Guatemans were seeing that the bus driver was talking to the other official. There were three, right, the officials. And they were like, no, this is not okay. You don't do inspections. This isn't the way that you do things. So I'm not sure why you're doing it this time. Well, one of the guys was causing such a ruckus that they had to come over and attend to that. And everyone began sort of, it became chaotic where everyone started talking over the, the officials and and resisting and pushing back against the, this so-called inspection and people's papers. And they stole my mother's ring. And my, my uncles just told my mom to get back on the bus. Everyone started getting back on the bus. The bus driver was fighting. There was a coal main bait, who knows? It was so chaotic, Jess, that I, I was relieved my mother was back with us, but there were tears in our eyes. The whole thing just was so dramatic. You know, having, like not knowing what would happen to my mother. She was very young and beautiful and I just remember feeling out of, like we have no control over what could happen to us with people with authority, right? And so I think back to that experience, luckily nothing happened to her and they just stole her, her jewelry. 
I, and we were all kind of somber and quiet and they looked over at us, you know, like they, everyone knew what was going to happen with my mother. It didn't happen, luckily. But I think that experience alone for me to think that I would travel with women or children, or even if you're just young and gangs come up on you, like through multiple borders up north, it's such a travesty what people have to go through, right? And I just went over one border at that time when I was an adolescent, when we went to Antigua and our whole vacation experience was sort of like after that, <laughs> tainted by that experience. And I've gone back to Guatemala three other times, but it just, to me, it's like, wow, it's, you know, just scared of what threats and could happen, you know? So then you come here and then you face people's racism or thoughts and ideas of what you are. And then no one's helping you out. And that's why I just like, okay, two unhoused immigrants are going to live with me secretly in my house. That's just what we're going to do, even if we have to live in the same quarters and have to bathe, eat, and rest here. So I we're we're making it happen, but it's been tough also just by our personalities. But you know, it's housing that's realized is such an issue. Finding a place to live, finding your food, being able to survive in an expensive city, right? It's so tough. All of these things cause folks to lose their that's why people end up sometimes on the street or just end up doing other things out of kind of work as we've discussed as well, right? Circling back to other episodes that you and I have discussed. And by the way, where Jess has also been interviewed on a separate podcast and I invite people to listen to that where she talks about uh, women specifically around uh, Roe versus Wade, but you will delved into another part um, into about sex work, I remember. Uh, so, it just these experiences that I've, or these experiences that they've shared with me, not that I've experienced, but these experiences they've shared with me, and then my support of them, just, I just think about our humanity and the need for us, wherever we're from, whether we're cowboys, proud of our culture, right, and loving our steak, <laughs> and hunting, and, you know, or whether we are Venezuelan, and we love our culture, I'm Mexican, we're all just really human. And I just feel these labels are what exactly what separates us. And I agree with people who say that they don't like identity politics. But as I always say, uh, I don't think, like in my experience, I don't think I make an issue of it. I think other people make an issue of it. When I've traveled down south and I've had to hitchhike from San Francisco to Boston, and people talked about my Mexicanness or me being a person of color or being brown. I didn't really talk about it <clears throat> at that time. Everyone else was talking about it. So I invite people to think about that. If you think identity politics is an issue, I would also say it's not just an issue that liberals do. I think, why are you talking about it? You're, I think people bring it up and they're making an issue of it. I don't think a lot of us are making an issue of it. No, and I mean, I think too, like, <laughs> rejecting identity politics doesn't mean you reject your identity right like i mean identity is it's what you do with your time every day right it's your family your ancestors your food your the sports that you love like whatever right like identity politics is just like it's just the surface layer like crap right which is constantly used against us 
Um, but as you were talking, and especially like as you're carefully choosing your words, right, to protect yourself and to protect your friends, like I was thinking, do you remember? I forget the name of him, but do you remember that guy um, who was tried um, for? I forget what organization he was part of, but he was like down on the border, literally just like like I don't know if he was giving blankets or like leaving water and blankets you know, in certain spots. And he was like, I think, I think he went to prison. Like, I think he went to prison and it's just so indicative of like, even the, even the Americans, right. Who would like, God forbid, want to provide water or food or housing or a blanket, um, to someone in need, like regardless of what nation they're from or what color their skin. Um, that's like, that's the country we live in. Um, yeah. And I, and I was thinking too, like with some of your earlier points, like bringing up the oil and stuff, like Venezuela in particular is such a natural resource rich place. Right. Um, so from a fair and equitable uh, you know, sovereign nation framework, it's absolutely no reason why people should be making $85 a month or way, way less, right? And needing to cross a fucking jungle um, and risk their lives and their children's lives to just try to survive. But No, yes, I, and to give face to name you, to, to the person you mentioned, Jess, let me just say. Can you enable? Sh- 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 oh yeah, sorry. Uh, not used to being the Zoom leader. <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay, I should be on. Well, blanking on his name. Yeah, I blanked on it as well. I think it's this one, Jess. I think who you're talking about, Scott Warren. Yes, that's him. Yeah. Who is 35? Who at at that time 35 and a professor at a university was arrested and charged after Border Patrol allegedly witnessed him giving food and water to two immigrants. Yeah, I remember hearing, I think it was him being interviewed on Democracy Now! years yeah, ago. I think Back so. when they like did journalism. Um, exactly. Yeah. No, I think it's him, Jess. I think we're on the same. I was thinking that too. And you know. No uh, More Deaths. Is that his organization? Yeah. Well, they were looking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if I want to add this, but you know, I could get in trouble just for supporting or helping or giving aid and even ranchers can get in trouble just for having them camp on their grounds you know yeah and what i think too like on the bus thing not to make too much of that because i know it's just a fucking publicity stunt but um like i agree that it it it's like a show of like oh like we're not gonna stand for having these illegals right like in our state but then i also think that they part of the purpose of that stunt was to highlight the the Democrats' hypocrisy, um, which worked like a charm, right? And they have a point on that one that it's like you send all these migrants right to these progressives who supposedly want to provide like safe havens, or that's what they say when they're running for elections. But then it's like, oh well, not not this group, and not not on these terms, and not in this particular place, right? Not at Martha's Vineyard. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, right. Yeah. 
I mean, why aren't we taking up Martha's Vineyard, I think, you know? Occupy it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We should be taking up Martha's Vineyard. That's exactly what we should be at. I'll say we should be at Jeff Bezos' home, right? And, I mean, I'm just talking, I'm thinking about the rich and the elite with their mansions and their homes and how much people's needs are. I was walking or driving, was driving, and I was looking at the buildings here in SF. And I'm thinking most of these people are now working from home because there were, there were articles about how people have been working from home. And I was looking for places for my friends to live in. And I'm thinking, my goodness, all of these square windows and all of these skyscrapers and, and empty buildings. And I'm struggling looking for housing for these two people because everyone else in the group, they've, they've all, I've helped, I've, they've arrived to this country and they've all had their contacts, they different parts of the area. So some in Florida, some in New York, some in Chicago, some in Texas. And two of them didn't have a place to go to. So I just said, come to the USA and you can always stay with me if you get there. I don't know how they'll get there. That's, I did, I'm, not, I'm not a coyote or anything like that. I'm not a... I'm not a trafficker of any sports if people want to do. I just don't know. But I know that once they cross the border, I'll be there. I'll support you. I'll bother the detention center. I'll, I'll be there for you. And so they have arrived in California. And just, it's so hard just looking for housing and getting connected to services. And if you don't speak the language the way that I do and the way that I'm speaking right now with you in English, like their struggle would be so much greater. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have this home, which luckily I just, you know, like I don't, I stay here and then I go to Mexico and then I go to France or that I go other places, but I don't have to worry about paying for rent when I'm gone for three months because I know I have a home in Mexico. I have a home here in SF. Like I can just come here. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to be worried about where I'm going to be next. Where am I going to, where am I going to lay? And I've been in situations like that, but of my choosing, that's different. Just like we've talked about sex work, like of my choosing, I chose to do certain things. Sometimes, no, no, there were uh, that area is a bit murky there when we talk about sex work. But like me traveling to Paris and wanting to stay when I knew I had friends in another part of France and I wanted to stay in Paris and I had to sleep at a park and sleep on people's doorways and then hitchhiking through the UK. Those were my choices. And I knew that I had enough money to go back to Mexico or just to go back to the USA and sleep in a comfortable bed. But I chose to put myself through those conditions. But these folks coming here, yes, okay, fine. Their choice to leave their country, yes. But by economic pressures, the other pressures that are there, forcing them to decide, okay, well, I have food for my daughter or myself. I'll give it to her, but I can't survive like this because eventually if I'm her take caretaker, I need to survive too. I can't take care of her this way. Yeah, it's not a choice. I mean, not by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And I, I mean, the housing thing, like, I feel like it really came to a head just domestically, right? I mean, like, we can't house, well, we won't house immigrants we won't house our own people who are on the streets. We won't house veterans despite all of the like, you know, militaristic culture and like patriotism, right? Like we can't even give them basic healthcare a lot of the time. Um, 
but yeah, I remember like in back when I was in Seattle, like during the first year of COVID seeing the tent cities just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And meanwhile, I'm working from home. All of my colleagues are working from home. There's literally empty university buildings in every direction, empty skyscrapers, empty houses sometimes, right? Um, And nobody cares. It's just like, oh, just let, just let the city like turn to complete, you know, just chaos. And like, I mean, it was just crazy by the, by the end of like, by the time I left, like walking through downtown, just like trash everywhere. Um, people just, you know, doing all sorts of drugs, just like in, in broad daylight, which I mean, that's a whole other issue. Why but, are they doing those drugs? Right. Right. To alleviate pain crises to escape. Right. And I mean, you, be- you would, any normal sane person would go insane when you're subjected to those conditions for long enough. Um, and it's just, yeah, I mean, and that's what makes the identity politics like extra painful to listen to every fucking day from every person who's in power, regardless of political party, right? Is because nobody acts on it. Like nobody actually wants to provide like equitable housing or equitable health care or to let people actually have a say in their own lives. And these are the things that we should all be fighting for, right? Like I remember one, a woman from Idaho, we were discussing immigration and they asked me what I thought about it, but they were nervous around it because they know that I come from immigrant family. And one woman, in a, we, there was a discussion at someone's house. I took a protest and my friend had invited me over and there were people there and they were religious people. And one of the women said, you know, she was, because they were saying, you know, the thing is, Eduardo or Edward, they would say, it's not that we're against immigration, it's that we're just trying to take care of our country. That's what they would say. And I, I had heard this before. And, you know, and one woman said, and this is related to what you're talking about, Jess. I'll get to tents and, and drugs and all that. But one woman said, uh, she said, and I was so grateful, she said, you know what? If I were in their position, I would do anything as you would do anything for your children. We would do anything for our children. And if you just think of them as us, and they were just like us, what would you do, she said to him. And she's a blonde, you know, country woman. I, I like that she said this. She said, what would you do if it was your children? And I know that I would do anything for my kids. And people come because of that, people's rest, because of the resources. And still, even in this country, and this is what you were talking about, there is still a lack of resources, even for the people that we are that are already here. We're missing so much that that's what I try to communicate with people who come here to this country. Don't get your hopes up that it's just going to be a city or a, a country full of just gold coming or dollars growing on trees. We're still, even as a country, so broken. Uh, I think there's so much that, yes, people do come for dire reasons. That's the only reason why people should be moving, though. That's one aspect of it. But there are people who finally realize, as my friends are realizing, Jess, they say there are a lot of homeless people here in SF. There's a lot more homeless people than even in... I feel, he said, even some of the places I visited in Venezuela, <laughs> we're so behind, even as a 
first world country of such a high, beautiful, like, you know, I think we're strong in military, but we're not very strong in social services. This country does not value its veterans, does not value education, does not value the importance of housing as a right, you know, and other countries have it a lot better, like in Cuba, in this aspect. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I was just thinking too about, like, just to take it full circle back to, um, like, the tribal power struggles, right, or, like, being stripped of power. Um, those communities are some of the highest rates of health issues, drug use, alcoholism, poverty. Um, I mean, a lot of them don't even have clean water. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I mean, and 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 we're the fucking immigrants, right? Like they they were here. They're they're the they're the true um, locals. Um, so it's just yeah. I mean, again, it's just hypocritical i'm sorry for all of these interruptions it's fine I'm my so coffee my cake. <laughs> oh good okay good i'm happy i have, so I have zucchinis like coming out of my ears i can't like eat them fast enough so i keep making zucchini cakes and zucchini fritters <laughs> i'm sorry for oh, okay good i'm glad you have something to to munch on. okay uh so i guess yeah so that's another point I get where, where, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that about Native Americans have a high rate of poverty as well. You know, and this is, this is it. This is where the country of the, of the, the land of the free and the best of the, the, the supposed economic situation is better than any other country. Okay, fine. But we're so behind in so many ways, you know, and I try to communicate that as well. And I think I, I told Andy this that I believe that me being in solidarity with other workers, international workers and traveling with them and being with them and going through some of the things, not the things that they went through in Central America, but in Mexico with them is another way of being in solidarity. You know, that that's me connecting with other workers. I feel in the conversations we've had, the political discussions we've had, that there is, an, I hope that there is this yearning or this, this, this idea, this false idea that the USA is going to bring them the solution, which now many of them are realizing as they're here, isn't the USA isn't the it, the, the, the thing that they're going, it's really going to have us working together in unity with other workers like those cowboys, like migrants working at the crops, uh, or, um, harvesting crops, and like migrants still coming to other countries, it's gonna take us to build on this unification, this, this movement for us to really demand those things and no, build those things for ourselves, right? I think of what I'm doing in my little corner of the world as mutual aid, like from, I said, and I said this, you know, I, the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm an anarchist and I'm compassionate, but I'm also, you know, doing this for political reasons. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, you have your religion and I try to explain it in those terms. And this is why I do it. This motivates me. I hope to build a world where we're free of open borders and a world where we are the ones ruling our, <laughs> our wherever we're at, ruling our, our, the way we want to live our lives. Uh, so, and I look forward with talking more about anarchism with you, Jess, but as an episode where we can read some. Yeah, I think we should do a an anarchist episode because yes i want to hear your like evolution and 
I guess yes. articulate my evolution. But I mean, yeah, I don't I don't really see a like borderless world without taking down nation states. So Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. My my anarchist point of view is very influenced by the Zapatista movement, which I don't know if they consider themselves to be fully anarchist, I'm not sure, but but they are a form of anarchism because it's not Marxism that they follow, they ascribe by. And it's and it's them taking up arms, building their own schools, building their own health like systems of healthcare, and uh, taking responsibility for multiple things, not just, oh, this group is going to take care of farming. Everyone has a skill that they're going to contribute to their society. And so it's just one, not the perfect society, but it's one of many that I have looked at and we can talk extensively about it in a separate episode and also have some readings that we can do and quote what or how we've been influenced over the time. But I feel I want to do that in my little corner of the world, right? In solidarity with the people locally, in my my neighbors, my friends here. Yeah, and well, I, share I, mean, I harvest. By the way, I saw your gardening. I saw your gardening uh, post. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. We still have stuff coming in. But I was thinking about um, like one of my favorite <laughs> anarchists, like contemporary anarchists, is um, Keith McHenry, right? Founder of Food Not Bombs. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, you're you remind me of of him and his work, and in, in a lot of ways, right? Because that's how he started his group. Was just like, I'm just gonna go out, and I'm gonna make food. For people who need to eat like simple as that right is like the most human thing in the world um and yeah he's been arrested multiple times and blah blah, blah. he's like this big political dissident for literally wanting to feed people <laughs> um it's just it's just wild but yeah we should do we should do an anarchist episode i think that'd be so you're still, are you still doing your, you're still collecting funds, right? For like housing. If, and if, if people want to donate, they can always donate. I'm not, the, I'm the, what, what has been used was to good use. And right now, if, I mean, if that GoFundMe page hasn't been really that well active, people have given me directly, which I appreciate. I appreciate you just having donated there. But if anyone wants to donate, they can, I put the link in the description box below. Mostly, uh, like Kenny, for example, didn't donate through that page. He just, he gave, he and his partner very kindly gave me supplies, food. They went, they took us out for lunch and gave them food. Like it was connecting them to resources. And we were able to connect with them before they moved to another place in California. So that was very kind and sweet of them. It's, it's, it's anyone's support in any capacity someone I don't even know recently donated on that page $10. And I'm thinking, where did they come from? I don't even know this person, but $10 goes a long way, you know, because what we do is we take the bus and we've been work, we've been looking for jobs and that $10, I was thinking, oh, this is, this is for your, for your bus, you know, clipper card here in SM mm -hmm. that you use. So take this, this is someone gave this to you. So yeah, I don't I mean, think two, two bucks for a bus ticket, like it matters. Right. So I appreciate anyone who is interested. They can still. And I'm glad we came back to this, Jess. I I, I do like, uh, I was just going to say about your experience. I appreciate you bringing that up. It's, it reminded me of my past with Nidaho. And I- You should come, you should come <laughs> visit Legrand. 
Um, cause I, it's a similar vibe. Like it's just very small town. Like everybody has their little mom and pop shops and they're super friendly. And, um, it's that, it's exactly what you described. Um, I do, I like it's that. Farming. Like it's lovely and people grow their own food and, you know, hunt their own meat and collect their own rainwater if they're crazy political. <laughs> um, so yeah. Whenever you're, whenever you have time for a vacation. I would love to do that. When I think I'll do what I'll do is at some time. Because I plan to go up north to Washington. So if mm -hmm. I just go up, um, no. Yeah, I do plan to go up north and do that trip. What's it called? There's a name for that trip that you go from California. 99. Oregon. Highway 99. Maybe. Is that it? And then I might just take a detour and just visit you and then go back south to go visit Jake's family and then go i don't know maybe i won't go to washington maybe i'll just go to oregon and come back down yeah but if yeah. you can that would be nice uh the other thing i wanted to say very quickly oh i wanted to ask you so you but it's interesting you are you are an immigrant jess yep can you just quickly share with us how your background i don't think i've asked you extensively about your background yeah so my mom is english dad's american um and I was born in England. My sister was born in England. That's where I spent um, like the first part of my childhood. Um, and then we ended up, I don't know, it's a long story, but we ended up in Kansas, just outside Kansas City. Um, and the not Wizard of Oz, Oz State? What's that? The Wizard of Oz State? Yes, the Wizard of Oz State. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we ended up there. So that's where I went to like middle school and high school and kind of like you were describing your childhood. Like we would go back to the UK pretty much like in the summer for two, three months, my mom and my sister and I, and my dad would stay and work. But um, yeah, so I kind of grew up like in both cultures and um, yeah, I mean, half my family's still over there. I love it over there. Uh, but it's funny when the immigration topic comes up in different situations because nobody thinks of me, like nobody, who meets me or in my life. I mean, they might know, like sometimes they get asked like, oh, like, where are you from? Your accent sounds like a little off, you know, like people think I'm like maybe Canadian or Australian or something, but you know, I, nobody considers me, you know, an immigrant, right? Cause I'm white. It's like, where, where specifically in the UK? So I was born in Norwich. Um, like most of my, mom's side of the family is in Norfolk and Suffolk area but then we moved to Solihull just outside Birmingham when I was like one so that's mm. where I still have like friends and that's where I um, spent more time so we'd usually go back and then like we'd go up to East Anglia for like half of it and then we'd be in Solihull for the other half um yeah not the most like touristy <laughs> places people always laugh they're like oh you're from Norfolk cool <laughs> but it's beautiful it's like countryside um yeah I mean it kind of has a wrap of being like a bunch of like inbred country bumpkins up there but you know it's a beautiful place and your parents where do they live now they're still in oh. Kansas actually oh. they hate it there though but I don't know I can't make them I've, <laughs> I've tried to make a move to back to England I've tried to make a move to the Pacific Northwest tried to say you should just go to like the south of France or somewhere and just say fuck it but they don't listen to me well I have 
I, I'm glad when you said that the first time, I, I've always wanted to ask you details, but I'm glad we're saying it here in this episode because it's just intimate, you and I. But I've always had a very deep love and appreciation and affection for the UK because I think it was the first, no, yes, it was the first, I know they don't consider themselves to be European. Everyone in the UK is like, oh, the Europeans. I thought when I went there, I was taught in school that the UK was a part of Europe, like in the continent, like when you talk about Europe, you think of the UK, but they would say things like, oh, the Europeans. And like, it was so distinct the way that they would draw that. You know what's over. crazy? I've actually never been to mainland Europe, except the airport. I've been to Africa. I've been to China. I've been to Central America, Canada, but I've literally never been to mainland Europe. Yeah, it's so crazy the way that they that they distinguish Europe from, you know, like the Europeans from from the British. But anyhow, so I just wanted to say I have this deep appreciation, and it's because I think it was the first time when we went to Europe that I we went to the UK. And obviously I understood because they spoke English. And when I went after that to France, it was like, well, I don't understand anything. So I had like, oh, I want to go back to the UK because I feel like I understand things. But even then, I their English was just oh, off. And in the forest of Dean, I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand anything what anyone said there. And here I thought my English skills were honed. And then I started practicing English over there more and more. And then people would correct me. And then they would say, don't speak like the those Americans. Yeah. And so then they would correct my English and then they don't say that, don't say this. And those Americans are trying to influence you. You're Mexican. You should be a part. Like, don't, don't, don't let them get you, um, brainwash you. And when I'd say, I love the 60s, they would say, the 60s started here, you know that. And I said, uh, I was told it was New York and SF. Like, that's where it's from. They're like, of course they would tell you that. Don't believe them. You know, so. It just any of just all of my experiences there just gave me my my deep appreciation for them. And if they ever listen to this, I'm sure these things are just too long for them. You know, Shelly and Jamana and everyone there that I lived with there, I so much love them. And Danny from Cornwall. So I just I just I I I want them to know this if I'm going to share this episode with them I doubt they'll watch it but who knows I'll just maybe skip over to this part I'll just skip to the end yes but so anyhow so when you said that um I was like oh that's so cool that you know you are from there because it's this connection I had as an adolescent going there so well people think it's cool like when I share that um like Americans always think it's like oh my god you're from Britain like or they just assume they assume you're from London they always just like oh yeah I didn't know you're from London I'm like who said I was from London but it's just so it's just strange like the certain certain levels of exoticism right are like attractive or intriguing um and then certain types are the opposite and and circling back to what we discussed about cowboys and stuff there is a there are this working class northern Brits, right? That I think when I think of when I think Americans think of the UK, tell me if this is your idea, Jess. This is related to everything we're talking about though, because I'll get to what I wanted, what I want to say. And then I think of US Americans talking about the UK, they talk about like the posh accent and raising the teacup and and, well, and it's all like of those right and and, and they think of they think of Downton Abbey sort of yeah. things do you know what I mean 
Yeah. I I mean, when I, when I moved, so I, when we first came over, I was seven and I was super shy and I, I was so sad. Like I didn't want to leave my friends in England. Like I was, didn't want to be there. Like I was super unhappy. And when I, we didn't know if we were going to stay for a while. So I'd like homeschooled for six months. And then finally my mom was like, okay, let's put him in school at least for a little bit. Um, and when I went into school, like I had a really like brummy, like Birmingham accent. Um, and no one could understand me. None of the kids could understand me at all. And it was horrible. I mean, I'm sure it's not even close to the level that coming in, like speaking like only Spanish or mostly Spanish, right? Like actually speaking a different language because there was like a level of like, oh, like you're the new like English kid. That's so cool. Like tell me about the queen. Tell me about the Spice Girls, you know, because it's like late 90s. Um, But also like they literally- The Spice Girls, exactly. Yeah, because I Uh I didn't sound like, you know, Princess Diana. I sounded like a little brummy, like working class kid from Solly Hall, right? Yeah, such a strange time. Right, and so when I when I see it's it's cringy when I think of you know people Americans who could talk about Brit they Britain they talk about like oh I'm so in love with those buses and London and whatever, but I think when I think of the UK I think of what you're talking about Jess I think of the people who I would say, Eduardo, and then they would say, oh, that's too hard for us. And I would say, okay, fine, Edward. And they say, oh, that sounds too posh. We'll just call you Ed. Like, what are you talking about? I'm not Ed, I'm Eduardo or Edward, but you know, we'll just call you Ed. And I think of, I think of Marmite. I think of, you know, like, I think of pudding and I think of the English breakfast with you know, in the tins and 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 of course the sausages and things, but the, the eggs there and I think of the ketchup they use for, for almost everything, I, you know, but, you know, and, and curry being an English dish, you know, I'm thinking curry is not an English dish. It's an Indian dish. No, but it's part of British culture. Wait, but you know, we've, we've co-opted it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think of their Sunday uh, dinners. Right. And so I think of, I just think of, especially the small town where I stayed for a long time was Camelford and Cornwall and the working class people there and the pasty and the miners town, that's what I think of. So I, going back with this nationalism on cowboys, it's like, I understand that there could be pride and there could be, but I also know, I feel this is, I don't know how to say it. I feel like I understand where it comes from as well, from like my time in Idaho to my time in the UK, just how much of their own culture being built in their towns and their communities. And that's lovely. That's good that they have that. I, and I think it's nothing wrong with that to be proud for. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's problems. Like there's, you know, there's racism and nationalism and all sorts of problems just like in the States. But yeah, I mean, I always think back, I think you brought this up during, must've been during one of our like maybe gender episodes or something, but like, you know, one of the great moments in British history was the alliance between the miners, right? And the gay liberation activists, right? Um, from totally different political ideologies, but saw like, oh, we understand, like we have this common enemy, we're being marginalized, we're being pushed out of our, the way that we want to live our life, like autonomously and authentically. Um, and it, it might look completely different between those two groups of people, but they actually banded together and and made a lot of headway um, because of that alliance. 
So I think we need more of that. Like, yeah, tribes and cowboys banding together, minors and LGB, <laughs> whatever, just more yeah. relationship. I agree. I agree. That's a good way to as to wrap up this episode. You know, it's it's yeah. the solidarity between us, the 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 workers, the people, the common folk, uh, that I think could really bring about this change. And I'm glad you said that. No, I really do think that wherever we're from, and that doesn't mean taking away our identity as like not being proud from where we're from, you know. Oh yeah. Love it. Well, thanks, Eduardo. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. This was nice and intimate. I felt like we were just doing a regular checking. I know, it kind of just devolved into just, you know, regular convo. But Jess, you have to curb, you have to sort of corral me because I can go in every which direction. And Andy's good at corralling me, by the way. (laughs) My mind just go. (laughs) Okay. That does it for this week's episode. Uh, what's left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenging the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog at what-s-left.webnow.com. Uh, you can find past episodes to this podcast slash channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything you have heard here, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, BitChute, Odyssey, YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram. And you can find our blog and any of those uh, platforms to those links in the episode notes wherever you found this episode. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you've heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Jessica, and we'll expect uh, we'll expect Kenny and Andy to join us next week. And hopefully uh, they're having a wonderful time out there in New England. Uh, Brandy and Andy, again, happy belated birthday from both of us uh, and the What's Left audience to Brandy, Andy's partner. Uh, and, and you can find our social media handles in the episode notes as at Don Eduardo Barca for Instagram and at ZDKE. Uh, those are Instagram And I should follow those because I like recently rejoined Instagram and like Kenny posts like some seriously good stuff. Like he puts work he into his post. He Eduardo too. Yeah. Not as him. Not as him. He he does an amazing thing. So that's why. Yours is great. Yours is like more personal. Personal. You know, and, you, yeah. and you can find Jessica's Twitter handle at jhomie89. Uh, did you want to show your Instagram or not? What is my? I don't really do any politics on my Instagram. I learned that lesson. Um, but what is it? Double Leo life. It's mostly just like plants and astrology. <laughs> All right. But yeah, and we'll put the GoFundMe in the All right. in the description. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you all next time. Ciao. Bye.